Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. I admit I've started to repeat myself a little on these little outings when I keep crying out for a few more grown-up films. This usually happens during the school holidays when it seems every second movie is based on a comic book or a video game or an antique kids' TV series. And this week I decided to follow the usual plot of a video game movie. I sent myself on a mission. A mission to try and avoid reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog 2. You're unskilled. Untrained. Unworthy. I was certainly the wrong person to even discuss it, having missed the first film, having never played the primitive video game it was based on, and having a long-standing doctor's note excusing me from anything starring Jim Carrey, even in what I'm told is his last film. Hedgehog. It's time to say goodbye to humanity. Welcome to the new norm. They are still making films for adults, but generally they're making them in Europe, Asia and Latin America. Well, the good news is we do get to see them during the various film festivals and subsequent art house releases. The best films on at the moment are Japan's Drive My Car and Norway's The Worst Person in the World. Idag visste du glad i mig visste du älskar mig så då fixar vi allt det andra. Ja, jag älskar dig. Men jag älskar dig inte. When I called out for more films for adults, clearly someone misunderstood and assumed I meant adult movies. Remember the spate of steamy sex thrillers in the 80s and 90s? Fatal Attraction, Indecent Proposal, Nine and a Half Weeks and Basic Instinct. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games? Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Part softcore porn, part blood-spattered whodunit. These films often betrayed their roots in late-night TV commercials. I have to confess they were often too rich or simply too unpleasant for my blood. OK, they're adults, but not my sort of adult. I was reminded of that era when two prime auteurs of the basic attraction proposal genre returned this week with new material. I've got to see you. This is going to stop. No, it's not going to stop. It's going to go on and on. She keeps calling the apartment. Hello? Every time Beth answers the phone, she hangs it. Adrian Lyon, Brit director of controversial hits like the bunny boiler shocker Fatal Attraction and the rent-your-wife-for-a-million-bucks conundrum Indecent Proposal, has been off the screen for decades. But he returns with a slice of psychodrama on Amazon Prime called Deep Water. Melinda kind of has the palate of a 12-year-old. Our first date, I took her to the best restaurant in the city. She ordered mac and cheese. Yes. It's like he was ashamed to be with me. 
No, I just realized you were ordering off the children's menu to save room for alcohol. Dutchman Paul Verhoeven's career has been rather more wide-ranging than Lyons, including some terrific homegrown movies like Black Book. But he'll be forever associated with the tacky Sharon Stone thriller Basic Instinct and the film that essentially ended the genre, The Notorious Showgirls. It's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about power. You're a stripper. Don't you get it? I'm a dancer. She's dazzling, she's exciting, and she's what Las Vegas is all about. It's as if there are two Paul Verhovens, the serious filmmaker and the tongue-in-cheek exploitation king. And they're both on display in the film Benedetta, which can be summed up as lesbian nuns go mad during the bubonic plague. Je sais pas comment Dieu fait les choses. Je sais qu'il accomplit sa volonté à travers nous. So, buckle up for the adult section this week, and Benedetta and Deep Water aren't even the worst films on offer. That dubious honour goes to Morbius. I have powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a choice to hunt and consume blood. Morbius is based on a minor Marvel comic called Morbius the Living Vampire, but don't get your hopes up. Yes, even 28-odd titles in, the official Marvel Comics movies are still the best-produced blockbusters around, thanks almost entirely to producer Kevin Feige. But not all Marvel titles are Marvel movies. You need a doctor? I am a doctor. Some of them, notably Venom and Morbius, are produced by Sony Pictures. And the Sony version of Marvel can be summed up as not Kevin Feige. I might even go so far as to say the opposite of Kevin Feige. What did you do to yourself, Doctor? I wish I knew. Sony may pick a colourful, methody sort of actor to play the lead, but he's one totally devoid of any charm. Jared Leto may have featured in some good films in the past, but he was usually the worst thing in them. This culminated in his bizarre turn in House of Gucci, for which he received that least coveted of awards, the Razzie for Worst Actor of the Year. I should have died years ago. People all over the world have my disease. I'm here to find a cure. We have to push the boundaries, take the risks. Here, Leto plays ailing genius doctor Michael Morbius on the hunt for a cure for his incurable blood disease. The fact that Leto is not the worst thing in Morbius is more a reflection on the film, every mad scientist movie ever made, than on his performance. Why am I still here if not to fix this? I have a rare blood disease and I'm running out of time. This could be my last chance. Morbius secures a whole lot of special bats from Costa Rica. While he's extracting some ingredient from their blood, we take time to flash back 20 years to the orphanage where he grew up with a best friend called Milo. Have I ever denied you anything? Have I ever said no? Have I always given you the money? I can't control it! What, so, so, so you get to live and I get to die, is that it? 
Milo grows up to be played by Matt Smith, a long way from the crown, and finds himself pulling both villain duty, give me that special serum, Morbius, and estranged best friend. Only you and I know what being sick is like, Morbius. All our lives we've lived with death. Why shouldn't they know what it feels like for a change? Just accept who you are. The bad guy. Well, the first thing Kevin Feige would have done is split these two jobs up. If the tormented Morbius is to be any sort of hero, he's going to need an uncomplicated best friend, pointing out his good sides and occasionally calling for three hearty cheers. Michael, I've known you since you were a child. You have a gift. You always have. There is already someone on hand who could have pulled this off. Jared Harris is the lovable doctor from the orphanage. But the producers clearly thought the Morbius audience wouldn't want boring things like character development and plausible motivation. Bring on the vampire action. I went from dying to being more alive than ever. It worked. Not exactly. I have increased strength and speed and some form of bat radar. What else can I do? So how do you generate sympathy for a character who's gone overnight from 90-pound weakling to a strapping vampire with a taste for human blood? Well, nobody on the production bothered to ask this question or think of asking Kevin Feige for advice, which I'm sure would have been to wonder, what does his love interest think of the new-look Michael Morbius? You're up to something. What is it? That's not exactly legal. I want to see you get hurt more than you already have. This would be a cure. To which their response would have been, love interest? What love interest? There is someone called Martine handing Morbius test tubes in the laboratory, but if she's expecting things to move to the next level, she's got a long wait. Instead, the movie gets bogged down into Morbius and Milo throwing special effects at each other forever, or until one of the actors gets a better offer. Are you here to heal the world? Or to destroy it? The fact is, making a Marvel Comics movie looks so easy, thanks to Kevin Feige's team. All you need is a couple of hundred million bucks to spend on special effects, surely. Well, I'm afraid not, Morbius. That's like saying to a rival of Shakespeare, all you need is a lot of paper and something to write with. Here's your quill. Give me another Romeo and Juliet by Thursday. Who the hell are you, Matt? I am. I know. I'm just kidding. It's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. When director Adrian Lyne returned to filmmaking after, by my calculation, 20 years away, maybe it's no surprise that the project that brought him back was a lurid blend of marriage and murder from the queen of amoral plots, Patricia Highsmith. The film is called Deep Water, and it's currently showing on Amazon Prime. Why are you the only man who wants to stay with me? I don't know. Are you too? I do. Patricia Highsmith made her name with a series of novels about a lovably cold-hearted murderer called Ripley. 
Possibly only Highsmith would consider a lovably cold-hearted murderer to be an appealing storyline, though it can't be denied she gained an enthusiastic audience, culminating in the film The Talented Mr Ripley, starring Matt Damon. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me too. Now Matt's old buddy Ben Affleck takes the role of lovably cold-hearted, though whether he turns out to be a murderer remains to be seen. He's certainly being tested in his marriage to the gorgeous Melinda. Melinda has regular flings with younger men, affairs that she makes very little effort to hide from her husband Vic, or for that matter, any of their friends. The fact that she's comfortable flaunting all these relationships around all of us, you're better than that. She's different. That's what I like about her. Well, the big question in this unconventional relationship, as it is in any so-called open marriage, is how Vic feels about it. And surprisingly, he seems unfazed. Melinda's flings never last long, and she's still committed to the marriage. The fact that he can discuss these matters with their five-year-old child, Trixie, is a little odd, though. That's good. Mm. Why is mom so different around other people? I think this is who she is. And some people are a little concerned by the fact that at least one of these passing young men no longer seems to be in town now. A growing rumour starts that Vic, in every other way the epitome of a wealthy upper-class suburbanite, may have taken matters into his own hands. Vic, I want to introduce you to my friend Charlie. Hi. Yeah, I'm Charlie. It's, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for giving my wife piano lessons. Yeah, no, of course. And she's a real natural son, so, you know, it's, it's my pleasure. Now, the setup for Deep Water requires an audience to take sides. How do we feel about star Ben Affleck here reprising his role as the wronged husband in Gone Girl, but with overtones of the gloomy Batman in the dismal Zack Snyder films? Well, I have mixed feelings about Ben. For every one film I like him in, there's at least two others that make me want to ask, is it possible for Ben to act with his mouth closed? You want to tell me why you didn't come home last night? Not really. This isn't a game, Melinda. It's always been a game. Even more testing is the key role of Melinda, played by Anna de Armas, an actress who's suddenly in everything these days, from Knives Out and Blade Runner to Bond Girl in No Time to Die. In Deep Water, she plays a character that only Adrian Lye and possibly Patricia Highsmith could love. She's a self-centred good-time girl who believes she's only misbehaving so her husband will notice her. Sometimes I think he's not normal. Because... Normal people can let go. You wish that I were normal, Melinda? My God, all the time. As if I were normal, I don't think Joel would be over here having dinner with us. Hard to know how such coolly amoral characters like Vic and Melinda could produce such a sweet little daughter like Trixie. She seems to be the one appealing character here, played by yet another talented infant, Grace Jenkins. What 
watching Grace Jenkins singing along to a cheesy 70s number at the end of the movie is creepy enough for a story that has resolutely rejected a standard Hollywood morality payoff. But since it's obviously a favourite of ageing director Adrian Lyons, well, let's just say we're in deep psychological water here. You love me? Of course. Well, the other disturbing thing to me was the increasing suspicion that novelist Patricia Highsmith saw nothing wrong with the behaviour of either hot-blooded Melinda or cold-hearted Vic. We're all grown-ups, aren't we? You can hear her laughing dismissively. The truth is, if you were married to anyone else, you'd be so bored you'd kill yourself. Deepwater is available on Amazon Prime and they've clearly aimed it at people who think they've been hankering for the old-fashioned film noir, the way Hitchcock used to make them. Here you are, they seem to be saying, but don't blame us if it's a little more noir than you were banking on. Do you think we'll ever be just happy? Yeah, I hope so. Dutch director Paul Verhoeven is famously reluctant to judge his characters. By the end of the story of the possibly psychotic nun Benedetta, Verhoeven doesn't come down on either side of whether he thinks she was lying, what he thinks of the miracles attributed to her, who, if anyone, is to blame for the outcome. We're even left guessing about Verhoeven's own motives for making a film of the real-life and scandalous story set in a convent in 17th century Tuscany. Is it an attack on the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church? Is Benedetta a real-life saint? Or is her whole story a self-serving act? Typically, Verhoeven said he was simply drawn to the rare case of a trial of two lesbian nuns. This is, after all, the man who directed Basic Instinct. Benedetta! Viens à moi! J'arrive, Seigneur! J'arrive! On ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. We meet Benedetta in her early teens, inspired to enter a convent after a series of visions where she's summoned by Jesus Christ. The abbess, a great Charlotte Rampling, looks as if she's heard this several times before, and she drives a hard bargain with Benedetta's family. Religion is as much commerce as it is spirituality in Renaissance Italy. Benedetta, vous me trouvez trop prompt à croire à ce miracle? Je pense que vous n'y croyez pas du tout. Years pass and Benedetta becomes a nun there, but her life changes when another young woman arrives seeking sanctuary. Bartolomea is younger than Benedetta, but she's clearly more worldly. Within days, she's made advances on her, eliciting new, troubling feelings in the already unstable Benedetta. Sir Benedetta, et toi? Bartolomea. Je vais tomber. Sir Benedetta? Il faut qu'elle soit dirigée d'une main de fer. 
His strong attraction to Bartolomeo encourages more extreme visions of Jesus now. The convent is first alarmed and then supportive of Benedetta. The ambitious priests in particular like the idea of their own miracle worker regularly in contact with the Almighty. Look what St Francis did to the economy of Assisi. The abbess is sceptical, accusing the priests of being driven by greed rather than piety. Benedetta is torn in conflicting directions. She believes now that Jesus approves of her love for Bartolomea, which manifests itself in even more extreme religious fervour. She suddenly breaks out in stigmata, the miraculous appearance of blood on the hands, feet and side. It's a cauldron of conflicting emotions until one of the younger nuns, Christina, accuses Benedetta of lying about her miracles. Well, complicating matters is the fact that Christina is the daughter of the abbess, who's not allowed to support her in this. Bartolomea has fait quelque chose qui vous est fâché? Avez-vous de l'affection pour elle? Ce qui se passe ici est un blasphème. Ce qui compte, le savent déjà. The inquiry by the local priests is a foregone conclusion. It's in nobody's interest to blow the whistle on the potentially profitable miracle worker. Christina is forced to recant with tragic results. Well, realising there's no chance of justice at the convent, the abbess flees to Florence, where she throws herself on the mercy of the authorities, led by the sinister nuncio. In Verhaven world, there's no moral high ground, particularly at the height of an onslaught of bubonic plague. Si cette sœur est coupable du blasphème dont vous l'accusez, elle est rebuchée. The elements parade through Benedetta. Is the love between two young women so blasphemous that they have to be literally burnt at the stake? Does Benedetta believe her visions, or has she made them up to get what or who she wants? Is the abbess, the closest thing to a sympathetic character in the film, right to charge Benedetta on suspicion alone? On ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. Peut-être a-t-il mis Benedetta en transe, ou bien Dieu nous a envoyé une folle qui débite des sottises pour servir ses desseins. There are many questions posed in the film, but you wonder if director Paul Verhoeven cares too much about the answers. I think he loves the fact that the final outcome is ambiguous and that at the age of 83, he can still shamelessly shake up the religious establishment. And at the end of a story with no convenient moral, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. 
And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.